Good afternoon, greater. You guys hearing this okay? Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacey Mitchell. And she's Sarah Timon, and we are here to talk about real estate. And again, we all work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018. And some, some pretty big news here, ladies, in kind of the, the the bigger picture national market. And we keep talking about these iBuyers over and over again. And the news that has come out um, last week. Uh, that open door. And if you don't know what open door is, they are an iBuyer who goes out, buys properties and, and they rent them out, hold on to them. Maybe they resell them and they have boosted their home buying power with a 9 billion with a B war chest to acquire homes. And this was made public in a securities and exchange commission filing on October 4th. And now they have a debt facility with a $3 billion limit and they can borrow up to $9 billion to acquire properties. So what do you think about all this, Sarah? We'll lead you off here. I know you're second or third week back here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's another story about iBuyers. And um, I feel like just trying to keep up with, with Zillow and some of the other companies out there that are doing similar things. Um, so Open Door has managed to get their hands on some extra money to, I think, compete. And they see the potential in... Um, in this market and are, are trying to get out there. Stace, what about you? I mean, this is, uh, I, I think, something that hasn't really come to the Philadelphia area yet because they're much bigger in like the, those testing markets like Florida, Arizona, Texas, those sort of places. So how do you, how do you see this affecting the market? I mean, that, that's the big question here. Like, what, what should buyers and sellers be aware of? Because maybe this is a good option. Maybe it's a bad one. I'm not really sure. But $9 billion is it's a lot of money. It, they definitely have a lot of money to play with. So they will be out there scouting um, properties to purchase with, you know, as a cash offer. Um, what I, when I was doing some research on this, I, I found out that uh, when Open Door is purchasing homes, they, uh, or yeah, they're purchasing from sellers, there is a service fee of 5%. It was up huh. to 14%. Wow. It was as high as, but can you believe that? 14%. I don't know if sellers are aware of that. I mean, they might think you're getting, you know, they're getting a great cash offer. And then also um, what I found out was that Open Door, you know, can propose an offer, but it's mostly contingent on repair costs. So they'll come in and assess the home. And the biggest complaint was that sellers receive these overinflated repair costs that come out sure. of the, you know, the purchase price of the home. So just a couple of things that I found out in my quick research of open door, I still think that there's going to be takers, uh, sellers are going to, you know, consider this a great option, um, getting, you know, under contract quickly and, and just unloading fast with a cash deal. For buyers, it could be tough again, because you have, you know, a, a major company out there that you have to compete against as a buyer. Yeah, I just don't see these companies going away. I mean, you look at no. these big investors that, that are coming out there, right? And what's one of the best investments? Single family homes. And because they're, they're the, even if like markets fluctuate, right? You still have the home. You're able to generate income from it if you're renting it out. Or if you're going to sell it to somebody else, given the demand, obviously that, that, that's a way to, to make money as well. And what I thought of, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, was that TikTok video that was done. Yeah. Uh, I forget the guy's name. We'll have to look it up. Um, and where he talked about, 
okay, so we're in this neighborhood and they're all the same house. Let's say it's like a subdivision, like newer construction. They buy three of them and they buy them at $300,000 each. And then the next one comes on the market and they say, you know what? I'm going to buy this one for three fifty. Well, now they've just increased their equity by $150,000 on a $900,000 investment. I mean, those returns you, you, you can't beat. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that TikTok, TikTok video was that far off from what's going to happen here because these institutional investors, they're, they keep coming into the market. And that's one of the reasons m- millennials obviously are driving demand right now. To me, this is one of the reasons why it's tough for buyers, especially in like that first time trade up market segment where there's a lot of end users that are looking to get into the market in the first place. I mean, am I, am I crazy here? Is, is the TikTok video crazy? You know, what, what, do you, what do you ladies think? Um, no, I, I don't think you're crazy. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you know, you. I think with just showing like the dollars that are behind these different companies, I mean, they have the ability to really change the market. Um, this isn't, you know, single investors that are, that are out there and able to, to move the needle that much, uh, on these properties. It's people that are backed by, or it's companies that are backed by big dollars and, um, they have a business plan <laughs> and, uh, they're ready to go out and, and do it. And investors are not investing for zero return. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, investors, they, they want return on their investment. So these companies have to perform. I think the TikTok video is spot on. And as much as some of these big companies want to deny what, um, you know, what some of us perceive as some kind of, um, you know, strategy to to bilk the system, but, uh, you know, they denied what they're going to be doing in the future, which... Uh, I think the TikTok video was definitely spot on. Well, and it's, I mean, think about what they do too. Cause if you go to open doors website, you know, I'm on here, it says, I want to buy a home in blank. And you can actually go and say, I want to buy a home in one of their markets that they're in. And there's you know, 15 or 20 of them right now. And then it says, we can help you. We can back your offer with our cash to give you an edge over other buyers. If finances get in the way, open door will buy the home. So no one else gets it. And then they offer financing as well. So now they've got their hands in the mortgage side. They've got their hands in the purchase side, the investment side. I mean, this this is what's happening in real estate. And it's the last industry that has really gotten disrupted. And there's just so much money out there. Again, real estate makes up 17% of the GDP. That's more than energy. People aren't realizing that these big companies are coming in. And and there's, you know, I mean, Rich Barton from Zillow has come out and said, hey, I think Open Door is a threat right now. I've seen him say it in person on stage. It's obviously 2019 when you can do that stuff. And they're doing the same thing. So when, when I look at what the future means, and we talk about these offers coming in and these folks that are saying things like, hey, I, I want to buy a home, but I got to sell my home. You know, th- This is where these companies have a real edge because they're going to be able to back it up with the, with the finance and they can back their people a little more. But again, they're making 5 6%. So they're actually t- they're, they're, they're making money too. And- this is how transactions are going to become like industrialized. I mean, it's not going to be that, all right, well, you got to get a bridge loan or you got to sell your home first and we got to take a contingency. Now, you may not get the best price selling to open door, although we've seen examples in Texas specifically where a realtor came in and said, hey, best you can do is X for your home. And then Zillow came in and bought it for $40,000 more. This is real life. I I just I, I see more and more of this stuff happening, not less and less. Yeah, I agree. Definitely more and more. And uh I think it's going to be trending that way. And in a couple of years, we'll be talking about it, but at a different level for sure. So before we get into the next question, we got special guest, amazing team agent, Steve Karpinski here. Steve, glad you're on the show, man. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. What's going on, everybody? 
So <laughs> welcome to Tool Time, real estate radio. Um, obviously, you knew about this before you got on. So we're talking about Open Door. And what I want to hear from, from you and Sarah is now that we, we've kind of gone through like what's happening now, what does this mean for the future? Like, so you're a realtor and you want to be in business five years from now and you're realizing that these threats are out there that are saying, hey, you don't control all the information anymore. You don't control all the listings. You don't control all the buyers. We're going to jump in and try to take those people from you. What should realtors be doing right now to protect their business? And then what should buyers and sellers be doing so they can compete with iBuyers like Open Door or sellers like Open Door that are you know, potentially you know, fixing the market here based on that TikTok video? So, I mean, I think the most important thing would just be to continue to stay informed as as to what's going on. If there are different um, policies in place there, as you were saying, Stacey, um, different fees that are charged, um, just kind of being on top of that. I think there are always going to be people once this really rolls out that that might be the best fit for them. They might want the the convenience of having this big company just come in, give them the money. They know they're not getting top dollar, but depending on their situation, that that might be what's best for them. I think there's always also going to be a lot of buyers out there. I'm sorry, sellers out there who, you know, while they they want things to be done quickly, obviously nobody wants to sit on a house for forever. Getting the most value from that home, the most dollars from that home is, is still going to be really important. So being able to kind of break out the facts and say, hey, this is what's happening in this scenario. This is what can happen in my scenario. And then just showing your value and showing where you may be able to, to help out and, and show your track record um, and, and show that you are still very relevant and then just kind of point out the different ways that you can help them. Mm-hmm. So what about the, the person that, that they go and they say, well, like, why, like why, why should I use you versus the iBuyer, right? Like, I mean, you, I think that you brought up some good points there and, and feel free whoever wants to jump in. You're, you're, in a, you're in a listing appointment, right? Yep. And they're saying, well, Sarah, hey, great. You know, this all sounds good. I just don't want to go through the hassle. And this iBuyer is telling me they can offer this. What, what do you say to them? I mean, how, how, does that, how does that conversation go? Because this, this is what realtors are going to be faced with in the next, whether it's right now, which I've already had this happen to me a couple times, I don't know about you guys, or in the next like 12, 24 months. I mean, this is going to be a real thing people need to address in the marketplace. Well, I think the first thing is really to find out what their needs are. Do they need this to be done today? Like, do, does this house, did this house need to be sold yesterday in order for them to, to move forward with their plan? Um, is there a certain amount that they need to net at the end of the day? Um, get those facts and then kind of work from there and figure out, well, if you if you go with plan iBuyer, are you going to be able to to get what you need to net? Um, what fees are coming out, whatnot? Um, if it's something where they're like, "Listen, I just want to get this over with quickly." Well, touch on our marketing plan. Show what it is that we offer, what what we put into place, and what our results are. How few our days on market uh, on average are in order to get a home sold, and if that lines up with um, their timeline, then you can show them you can get the net and you can get the the dates that you need without going that iBuyer route um, and just really rely on the facts. Well, and I think we also want to talk about what Stacy mentioned where like they don't just, they come in and negotiate after this. Like mm-hmm. everyone thinks it's going to be this clean deal. And, you know, I'd love to hear your, your view on this, Steve, because we have you on to talk about investing in real estate. I'm sure you've been through like both sides of this where the investors tie up the property and then try to like, negotiate it later versus the, the, the normal route that we go through on inspections. But 
I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now on a property with an institutional buyer where it's this company out of Georgia and they're coming back and they're saying, hey, we want like 15 grand off the price, even though we said it was informational only inspections, which they should just eliminate that clause from the agreement because I think all mm-hmm. it does is cause problems. But I, I mean, it's, it's not as clean as it seems. And I think it's kind of a bait and switch in a lot of cases. And oftentimes these I buyers, they have like a 30 day contingency period. It's not 10 or 14. It's a lot longer. And that costs time which ultimately can cost, you know, can affect people's plans. Like then they're closer to when they want to move and they say, you know what, screw it. I just want, I just want to get this deal done at this point. I mean, have you seen that happen with other investors, Steve? Because I know you got a real experience there. What, what's, what's your take on all this as, as consumers kind of start to deal with these more and more? Are we talking about iBuyers? Like, iBuyers, like, but investors too, because I, yeah, I think so they're all the I same. I would just probably check, like, you know, these people have to check the fine print because again, I think they're just trying to tie up the property and then we'll come in and try to renegotiate and then just end up knocking you down in the end. But they already have the property under contract. So then I guess these people feel like, you know, they're stuck now and can't get out of it pretty much. Well, we know that when they get closer to the settlement date, it's like, well, we just got to get this done now. We've got the mover lined up. We've got the new home. Right. I mean, do you, and, yeah. and people kind of they go into almost like screw it mode, mm-hmm. which right. is like, I just got to get I got to get to the t- I got to get to the table on the date I need because my life's going to be too complicated. Exactly. Is that fair to say? I mean, you guys are in the field. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally fair to say. And they kind of like accept the defeat at that point, you know, okay, let me just get out of this. But I, to uh, Sarah's point about the adding as an agent, how can you add value? How do you um, express what you can do? Real estate is mostly local, right? Yes. And relationships. So you can express to sellers look, I'm going to be here for you. I don't know who you're speaking to in this Mm -hmm. big institution on any given day. It could be a couple of different people, but I'm the one that's going to be representing you. I'm going to be here for you, you know, throughout the entire process. So you just have to explain your value to the sellers, make sure you get that point across and, and what you bring, um, you know, how you can manage throughout the transaction. Um, and to your point about the 30 days, I didn't realize that, that, uh, these institutional, um, I buyers, they have a 30 day contingency period. That's a long time to be tying up a property. Um, anything can happen during that time. So definitely the, the seven to 10 or 10 to 12 day is, uh, a, a much more reasonable amount of time. Sellers probably have no idea about that. So they need to be educated. Again, another point to have a local agent. Right. And I know Tom, I think you had mentioned that like these I buyers aren't actually in our area yet. Um, not yet. Well, not, not this particular eye buyer. Yes. I-buyer. So I think what will also be interesting is if they, as they come to the market, I mean, people tend to learn best through stories mm. of, you know, this has happened and you can give examples. And once they've actually, you know, you can give examples of, of things that have happened in, in other markets and, and not quite as localized once they come here and you can really see how it plays out. Um, you know, hopefully it, it does go smooth for everyone, but um, we'll be able to kind of take a look at, at different case studies and see sure. how things actually happened and and what your options are. Well, I'm looking at an agreement of sale now from a local iBuyer. I'm not going to give out the name of the company because they, they, they do the same thing here, but it was for a listing that we had and we sold. The seller forwarded us the contract and the contract's only three pages long. So, I mean, right away, you know, you're not using a standard Pennsylvania Association of Realtors agreement. You lose a lot of like protections there. Um, here's the inspection clause. The sale is contingent on the buyer's due diligence period of 30 days from the effective date and acceptance of the property prior to transfer of title. 
The seller agrees to provide access to the buyer and the buyer's team slash representatives as needed to complete the sale. And that's it. That's literally all it says. So, you know, it's clean and easy to understand, but we all know that when you get into legal stuff, I think sometimes the the less complicated it is, the more trouble you're in. Cause it doesn't say if this, then that like art, like the PAR agreement of sale says that has a duty to the public being a member of the association of realtors is really critical. So, I mean, that, that's just, that's one example locally that someone had an offer from their home. Now we took the listing, sold it for more. So it kind of illustrates the point of you don't always get the most, but it would have been may, maybe a clean deal for them. Maybe they don't close. I think that's always the, the, the reality with these here. So we know what realtors, basically what I'm hearing you guys say, realtors need to be able to communicate their value clearly and show people why it makes sense to use them. What should buyers and sellers be aware of going into these transactions before we take a quick break here? Because to me, I think there, there's a lot at risk, especially for the seller. I think the buyer, if you're buying a property, you're going to buy the property you want to buy, whether it's through them or, or somewhere else. But what, what should sellers be aware of if they get approached by an iBuyer? And maybe it does make sense for them to take the iBuyer offer. They have to be aware of the hidden costs because I think that's where, that's where, from what I'm reading and my research on Open Door, that's the most complaints were all these hidden fees. The 5% service fee, which was as high as 14%, which I think that's like unbelievable. <laughs> um, but hey, they got it, I'm sure. Yeah. But the in- inflated repair costs, I think that's what sellers really have to be fully aware of, of what could potentially happen down the road. And it could upend everything. It could totally cost them the majority of their proceeds. Um, if they tried to get out of the deal, you know, it just, it could upend everything. So seller, do your due diligence, shop around, you know, interview local agents for sure, along with the iBuy and make sure you get everything. Um, there's a lot of gray in the iBuyer contract. So, uh, you want it to be as, um, you know, open as possible, which it doesn't seem like it is. It's kind of gray. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We are going to talk about an alarming statistic about what happens to consumers when selecting an agent. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking advantage? Call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax at 610-692-6976 or visit our website, tomtool.com, to connect and take advantage. Stand by. Conditions. 
All right. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. We've also got Stacey Mitchell and Steve Karpinski, guest hosts in the house. Very grateful for all you guys. And again, we work with the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. We are streaming live on Facebook and YouTube if you want to check that out. So, Steve and uh, Sarah and Stacy, I wanted to share a stat here, and we just talked about this today. I just want to get your take on it and how consumers should navigate this. And it's kind of alarming. So what people don't realize is that right now, the real estate consumer, whether you're looking to buy a home or sell a home, you've got a 68% chance of hiring an agent who has done zero to two deals in the last 12 months. Two thirds of the time you could hire somebody that has done two or less transactions. I take this personally. And, and the reason why I say that is if I'm making a big financial decision, like buying a home, which is the biggest financial decision most people go through, I don't want someone that's done zero to two deals. And we know that 62% of people, they make a decision like in the first couple minutes, they meet you if they're going to hire you or not. And there, there's really a great divide right now between hacks, meaning people that don't know what they're doing that are, Hey, I want to get into real estate because it's easy or I want to make my own schedule. And if by make my own schedule, you mean work a lot, then yeah, that would be what we're talking about here. Uh, I also look at it as an opportunity, but there's a big divide right now between hacks and actual agents that treat this like a profession. And a lot of people don't know where they rank in their MLS or they don't know who ranks where. And what I think we want to talk about here is how can the consumer make sure they don't make that higher? They eliminate that 68% chance because when you break down like the different tiers of production in the country right now, the top 1% of agents, they do 17.2% of the business. Big number. Mm -hmm. The top 5% do 37.4% of all the volume. So over a third, the top 10% do 51 and the top 25% do 73.5% of the business. And then the top 50 do 91. So literally half of the business is only doing 9% of the sales. So that alarms me. And we can't expect consumers to be able to identify who's doing what. Like that, That's our job as marketers and as agents. So what advice do you have for the person that's out there and they want to make a real estate decision in the next 18 to 24 months and they don't want to hire a hack? What are you guys telling them? Let's say you're interviewing against one of these people. How do you deal with that? I mean, this is a thing that I think every consumer needs to know Specifically, what are the right questions to ask when talking to realtors? When talking to realtors or talking to consumers? Talking to the consumer, interviewing the agent okay. to make sure they don't hire mm -hmm. that 68% that's doing zero to two transactions. I well, mean, I think you did two transactions yesterday, Stacey. And mostly, <laughs> I mean, it's like Steve did them over right. the weekend and Sarah yep. did it last week. So exactly. this is this is the thing that concerns me. Sure. And because, you know, I'm, I don't want the doctor that's done two surgeries, do you? Absolutely not. And that's why I you know, try to research, um, you know, the, the surgeon or <laughs> the doctor. Uh, and I think it, it's funny because you meet people and they'll take the time if they're going to buy a car and they research, mm -hmm. you know, they research it to death. Right. But when they're going to sell, like you said, make the biggest investment in their life, most likely they don't do research on their agent who they're going to be interviewing. So I think that's really important and that's really vital. So as agents, you definitely have to continuously market yourself, hone your skills. You have to stay on, on top of everything, stay sharp, uh, know the market that you're in, 
and um, offer that, be the knowledge broker, you know, offer that to the consumers. So what does that mean, be the knowledge broker? I mean, we know what it means, but someone listening may not. Mm -hmm. Just be able to provide them all the stats in the local market. So a lot of, if if you're a part-time agent, there's a lot out there. We've all run into those kind and we've all had offers come in sure, from those yeah. kind and it's kind of like a nightmare. Um, so I'm sure that they're not up on top of the market and what's going on. So you want to be able to educate the consumer. You have to tell them what's going on in the local market, give them, you know, the advice. Ultimately, it's their decision what they want to do, but uh, lay it all out on the table for them. Got it. Got it. So know your stats, know the market. And I think, you know, consumers usually see through that pretty quickly. Steve, what do you think? I mean, what, what are questions like an agent should be, or excuse me, a consumer should be asking an agent? Let's say you meet somebody, you're at the house. What are the normal questions you get? And then what are the questions maybe people should be asking that they aren't right now? Yeah. I mean, I would look at people's track records, like ask them, you know, how many houses have you sold this past year? You know, the, you know, how long have they been a realtor? You know, have they been a realtor a month or 20 years, you know, then also like about their reputation, you know, that that's big, like, you know, ask people around the neighborhood, you know, have you heard of this guy, you know, Tom tool, you know, what, <laughs> what's he like? He's a jerk. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, you know, also do a Google search. If you Google a realtor, nothing pops up. That usually tells you the first thing, you know, or do they have like, you know, 50 to a hundred five-star reviews, like things like that. And also ask them about like the local market. Are they up to date with the stats and like no recent sales and things like that? If they can't tell you those things, you know, then, you know, they're probably not doing this full time like we are. Right. Um, just to, to your point about if somebody has been doing it for 20 years, yeah. what I have found is, <laughs> yeah, I know you've that, only been doing it a year. So well, no, no, but, but somebody that's been in the business for 20 years doesn't yeah. equate to experience that's because there's a lot well. of part-time agents yeah. that will sell that zero to two homes mm -hmm. who have been doing it 20 to 30 yeah. years. You're right. Um, I've come across them too. So, you know, they might just sell their friend's house or mm -hmm. help their cousin buy, um, they might not be so up on the market. So longevity in the business doesn't equate to, um, you know, the knowledge and experience, so to speak. That makes sense. Um, yeah. But just wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. Throw that out there. You know, I've been doing this 20 years, Stacey. Are you trying to tell me something here? I don't, I don't, under, <laughs> I don't understand where you're going with this. No, not with all those hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of homes. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, uh, I think you bring up a good point, but yeah. What I, I love that you said is like track record, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, do you have reviews? Do, ha do you have things you can give people? So, Sarah, when you go to like an appointment, you meet someone the first time, like how do you, how do you, ex how do you communicate your value to them without being like obnoxious? Like what, do you, what are you doing to earn their business or at least earn the next appointment to earn their business? Because I think it's different between buyers and sellers. Yeah, so for sellers, um, you know, off the bat, before we even go out to that listing appointment, I'm sending them information about our marketing plan as well as, um, reviews and information like on myself and the office, just our track record. Um, so that they can, they can see that right away. Um, you know, they could search for it as well. It's going to say the same thing, but, uh, we provide that up front, um, for the, the sellers in particular in that listing appointment, when we go into a ton of detail in our, our marketing plan, that's a big factor in, in getting a place sold for, you know, the most money as quickly as possible. Um, so just being detailed and assuming that they, you have to assume that they don't know anything. So Great you want to not like just skip over different things. You're like, oh, they probably know that or like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, we do this every day. So um, just kind of taking it one step at a time and 
you know, if, if this isn't their first uh, time selling a home or if they've, they've done this a number of times, you know, then you can kind of tighten up a couple different areas there. You don't want to bore them to death, but uh, just being the knowledge broker and really, really showing them where our, our value lies. So there's a couple key things. And I want to put this all together for everybody listening is, do you have reviews? Do you have a track record? Are, do you know the market, right? And I think that's the biggest thing right now, because if, you, if someone doesn't know the market, they could be doing it 20 years, like you said, Stacey, but if they don't know the market, it doesn't mean anything. And also like, what's your plan to help me? Because most agents don't have a plan. They just say, all right, let me know when you want to see something. Talk to you later. And they don't hear from them again. Um, and, you know, having, having a plan and no, and also like setting the right expectation up front. Like, I mean, are you guys sending stuff out before you meet with people? I mean, you kind of alluded to that, Sarah. So I'd love you to go deeper there because that's the kind of stuff that the consumer should expect. And I would argue that they don't get it more, much more than 68% of the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, definitely before any, any appointment sending out, um, a whole slew of information sure. um, and letting them know that we're sending it so that they know to, to look out in their email for that. Um, and just, yeah, giving them all of that stuff up front, giving them a chance to look at it prior to the appointment um, is, is a good step there to, to give them the information. Anything else you guys are doing to kind of communicate that, especially because some of these, like, I, I think what people don't get is sometimes like someone says, Hey, Sarah, I'd love you to come over and take a look at my house. And it's more of like a formal meeting. Or, hey, I don't know anything about the process, Stacy. Can we meet and can you show it to me? Or this is what happens most of the time. Hey, Steve, I want to go see this house. Can you show it to me? So in that third scenario there specifically, like anything else you're doing to try to show them that you're the knowledge broker, that you have a plan, that there's a, a track record of success here? Because I think that's where a lot of consumers get lost. And that's why they cycle through maybe two, three, four agents or deal with some of these hacks, if you will, before they find the person that ultimately sells them the house. Well, taking buyers out, if they want to go see a home, I try to get as much information about their situation as possible. Are they pre-approved? Um, how long have they been looking? How have they been looking? What exactly are they looking for? This particular home that they're looking for, is that the stats that you want? And then I'll go through and I'll search for more homes with that criteria. I automatically send out the seller's disclosure so that they can start to get their eyes on some of the information that's going to come their way so that they're prepared. And when we get to the home, we can talk about the seller's disclosure and what we found on the seller's disclosure. I'll also bring with me a uh, buyer's estimated closing cost sheet so that they have an idea of what it's going to take financially for them to get into this home. So I think with them getting emails from me right off the bat sure. with all this information and then me showing up with even more information and providing the buyer consultation, you know, going through the whole buyer process, that really shows that you're professional, you're serious, and you're ready to help these people. So I think that's that totally makes a good first impression. Well, mo most realtors don't follow up. So you're talking mm -hmm. about all this follow-up that happens before you even meet them. The average right. agent follows up 2.7 times. That's a, that's a, and we know all the sales happen at what? Six plus times. So mm -hmm. buyers should be looking for some of that communication, which I love. So let's talk about warning signs. Like what are some of the warning signs should buyers or sellers be, be kind of wary of? Let's say they contact you on what you wouldn't do, Steve. So not what you would do, what you wouldn't do. Like what are some of the warning signs or maybe things you've heard from people where they make contact with an agent, they're supposed to meet them, and then it kind of goes sideways because I think sometimes you need to look at like what the bad signs are as well as the good signs. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if first off, I, usually I don't like to take people out that aren't pre-approved 
is first off, you know, you have to know what you can afford. I, I, there's, I learned this the hard way, unfortunately. I, I showed a couple of <laughs> people houses that were a little bit too expensive for them. We went to put the offer in and then we got the pre-approval. And what do you know? They couldn't afford the house. So I'm like, well, this is never going to happen again. Unfortunately, you learn sometimes through experience. Um, number two, I think what also, you know, gets people is, you, you know, after I take somebody out, if I'm going to continue to move forward with the relationship, I'll have them sign the buyer agency contract. And usually you weed a lot of people out that way by seeing if they're serious to actually buy a house. Because if they're, you know, if they don't want to sign, they don't want to move forward with you, then, you know, they, they probably weren't that serious. Well, I love that it's, hey, the agent should be asking you these questions. And, and so, do you ever get people that push back and say, hey, you know what? That's none of your business, Steve. You don't need to know about my finances. And maybe they are serious. Maybe they're not. Like, like how do you navigate that to try to help them while also making sure it's, it's a good use of their time and your time? Because a lot of agents are going to show homes because they're hoping to get lucky. Like they're crossing their fingers saying, I hope this person buys this house. I have no idea what they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, if it comes to the pre-approval, I just say, you know, it's required when we put an offer in. So if you want to buy a house, you're eventually going to have to do the pre-approval. So we might as well do it now beforehand. So we know, you know, where you want to be budget wise and what you can afford. Love it. Love it. Very cool. And also it, it doesn't waste their time. Exactly. I think, I think it, it goes both ways. So Sarah, what about, what do you, what do you w worry about? Like from uh, like the, the cause you've worked with a lot of people that had other agents and it didn't work out for them. I, I think of a couple people that come to mind right away where they've like made offers and they totally fumbled the offer and they came to you because you knew how to get them a house and knew the right things to do, not to like tick the seller off before you even write up the agreement and right. another warning sign. So what, what are some, what are some of the warning signs you've seen from other agents where they've actually moved to work with you because of the, the, the missteps or the mistakes that were made? Sure. Well, um, just quickly before I go to that touching, um, back on what we were talking about, the worst thing that can happen too is if a buyer thinks that they are in a certain budget and they're not pre-approved and then they find out like, oh, that was well, like way outside of, of what I'm pre-approved for. If you've been looking at houses in a certain range, then when you backtrack and get into lower priced houses, like they've already gotten to almost like expect some of these things that come in like the higher budget. So mm -hmm. you don't want to, you don't want to backtrack and, and that's just like disappointing for everybody. Um, so for, for warning signs or complaints that I've gotten from buyers that had worked with other agents, um, I think miscommunication can be a big one, just them not understanding what the process is and then being frustrated by like, well, I, I didn't know I was supposed to do that or, yep. or why, why was I not told about this step or um, kind of giving people options for how to strengthen your offer, especially in today's market. There are certainly things that you can do um, and you have to weigh the pros and cons for, you know, what risk do you want to take? Um, how, how competitive do you want to get on this offer? Um, so kind of giving them the options and then explaining what that means. Like if you just say, Hey, I think you'll get this house if we waive your inspections <laughs> and they don't like, and then they're like, okay, great, let's do it. And then like, as the transaction gets further along, problem, they're like, yeah. wait a minute, what? So I think, um, you know, being being open up front about what options are and then how that plays out down the line um, is definitely important. So I would say lack of communication is probably the the biggest that I've I've gotten from people that have switched over. Well, that's the number one complaint about agents is communication. Hey, I never hear from my realtor. You guys heard that before. So mm -hmm. yep. you know, to your point, not hearing from the agent until you have the appointment. Like if they say, Hey Steve, we're great, we'll meet you at five o'clock, and then you don't say anything to them and just expect them to show up at five o'clock at the house. Like that, that little extra step there to me goes a long way. 
So if you're a buyer or a seller, I'd be looking at what prep is the agent sending you to earn your business. And that, you know, because that first impression happens so much. What was the stat that Ben gave us today? I think it was 62% of people, they uh, decide within the first 10 seconds when they meet you, if they're going to hire you or not. So, you know, think about that. And also I, I would even take it one step further, how they show up for the appointment, right? Are they late? Right. They look, are they, are, are, are they, are they on time? Sweats. Yeah. Are they, I mean, <laughs> I hope no one's in their sweat showing up in an appointment, but it happens. Right. And I every market's it. different, but we're pretty buttoned up here. I mean, it's yeah. the Northeast. It's, it's a more formal marketplace and you know, that, that does help. So, you know, well, I think a lot of that also protects your own time. Like it's, it makes you, everything is professional. It's upfront. It's good for your client, but it also keeps you from, you know, having three days ago say, Hey, we're going to meet at five o'clock at this house. And then you drive 45 minutes and get there. Great and point. the person's like, I mean, you didn't confirm. I don't, I don't know right. if we were still on. So I think it, it helps both parties not waste your time. Well, and that's the most valuable commodity, right? Everyone's got the same 24 hours in a day. And I know when I have an appointment and I would imagine you got, I mean, unless it's like a doctor's appointment, because those guys are never on time anyway. They're like, it's like, great, come and wait for 45 minutes. You'll be lucky if you see me. Obviously, very different job. If you're late, you're getting rescheduled. Yeah, yeah, you're two minutes late. You're not even there. Yeah, that's what happens. And uh, but but to to the point of like, I always make sure if I have a meeting with somebody, I'm confirming it. Even if I'm like, you know, let's say like Steve and I are grabbing coffee. Hey, you still good for today? Things happen, right? Like, and that that's all good. When you make that habit of things, it shows that you value your time, and more importantly, you value their the other person's time. And I think that goes a long way with realtors. So, and. Knowing this, I mean, this, these stats are just kind of crazy to me that 10% of the industry is doing over half the business and 25% of the industry is doing almost three quarters. Any other advice you have for the consumer that's out there so they don't hire one of those agents <laughs> that's doing zero to two deals in the last 12 months? And, you know, sometimes, look, every new agent's got to get a sale at some point. I was a new agent. We we're all new agents. So I'm, I'm not, that, that's not what I'm talking about, but for the people that are maybe been in the business two years and they've done zero to two deals, that's very different than someone in their first 30 days and they've done mm -hmm. two deals. So any, any other advice that's out there that you want to give to people so they can identify those right agents because new agents can be really great. We've seen, I mean, Absolutely. you know, we, we, we've had a lot, we have a lot of new agents on our team. That's something that we really promote. And, and if you're thinking about getting into real estate and you want to overcome this challenge, check out our, our website. It's uh, realestatescholarshipprogram.com. We'll pay for your license, have you join the team. Uh, but and any other advice that you have for consumers that want to avoid this 68%? What do you guys got? I think, again, like you were saying, just because an agent is new doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad agent because you, they could be surrounded by a great team. Sure. Right? So mm -hmm. use the strength of the team um, as we do because, uh, you know, we've all been new agents and we use the strength of the team um, to elevate us. So, but I think for consumers, you definitely have to um, do your research, uh, meet with people, see if there's a relationship that can be developed. Because another big complaint is that agents are too salesy, you know, I'm yes. sure. <laughs> and people don't want to be told what to do or what to mm -hmm. buy or what to sell, how to sell. You know, they want the information so they can make the decisions on their own. And they want the agent to listen to what they have to say. So that would be my wrap up for consumers. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's really the difference between a good agent and a great agent, because a great agent gives people all the information they need to make a good decision versus a good agent that just tells someone what they think that person wants to hear. Right. So they'll hire them. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we are going to talk about life as an investor pitfalls to avoid. We got Steve Karpinski here, amazing teammate. 
And he's also been on the other side of this with rentals, flips, you name it. He's done it. We'll be right back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first time buyer programs and low down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. The real estate 15 seconds. Hot. Have you considered taking advantage? Call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax at 610-692-6976 or visit our website, tomtool.com, to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. All right, all right, all right. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacey Mitchell. And we are here to talk to our amazing teammate, good friend of ours, and investor, Steve Karpinski. So, Steve, what, I, what we want to get from you today, and again, we all work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team since 2018 in Pennsylvania and Delaware, is that, I mean, and ladies, you'll probably attest to this too. Hey, you got a call in. I want to invest in real estate. I'm looking for a good deal. I want to flip a property and make a ton of money. You've done all this. Yes. And, and what I think this is a common question that agents get. And a lot of people don't know what they're getting into when it comes to investing in real estate. So why don't you give everyone a little bit of background about yourself mm-hmm. as an investor, as an agent, and then we can kind of go through some Q&A of like the most commonly asked questions about investing in real estate. Okay. So, I mean, really, I started in real estate about three years ago. I was actually a math teacher and I realized soon, you know, I probably wasn't going to do this for the next 30 years. So I said, you know, what <laughs> other things can I do on the side? And uh, I found house flipping. You know, I, I did what a lot of best, uh, people do is they start reading books. I, w- I read like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, The One Thing, things like that. And it just got me intrigued. So what I ended up doing is I went to DPI, which is Delco Property Investors. And I ended up meeting, you know, different investors and just, um, you know, seeing what was out there. So I got into house flipping. Um, I've done about 11 deals, I think 11, 12 flips in the, since in the past three years. And then what's kind of funny is I was, po- I was posting my houses like on social media and people were like, Oh man, they all look great. You know, can you help me find a house? And I was like, you know, I don't even have my real estate license. I was like, I can't help <laughs> you find anything. So I was like, oh, I might as well get my realtor license. And then one thing, you know, led to a next. And so now, you know, full-time realtor. So doing the flips own a couple of rental properties and, you know, things are great. So you got rental properties and flips and, and, you know, I, I, a couple of us here invest in real estate. Um, 
talk to us about like the the, the math of a flip because you're sure. not only a math teacher. Yes. So and I think this probably helps you a lot more than you think because you uh-huh. got to understand the numbers with these things. Yeah. Because my view is that people watch HGTV. We were joking about yes. this before. And they look at these numbers and they're out in like Malibu or somewhere mm-hmm. that's got like crazy margins. Yeah. We're in the Philadelphia area, which is a lot different. So what do you look for in a viable flip? What kind of profit margin can mm-hmm. you expect? And you know, what, what, what are kind of your parameters? Because I think that's a very difficult thing to do and make money. Yeah, I think it also depends on the market. You know, some people say like, I have to make like 15 to 20% of my money. You know, and it, it also depends on, you know, are you buying, buying the house at 20% down or cash? So we can go into all that stuff. So I think um, the general rule of flipping that we use is usually 65 to 75% or I'm sorry, 65 to 70% times the ARV. So the ARV is the after repair value. So that's basically like, what is the house going to be worth once it's all fixed up and, and done and complete, you know? So 70% times the ARV and then s- subtract the repair cost. And that's usually what, you know, your offer is going to be. So that's usually how we come up with that. So I think the things to consider when trying, you know, thinking about getting to house flipping is mm-hmm. number one is how are you going to finance the deal? Because, you know, most of the deals that I'm finding are not on the MLS. Usually they're off market properties, like from people like wholesalers, or, you know, people are bringing me the deals. And usually you have to be able to buy these properties quickly. So, you know, you're not going to be able to get a conventional loan or a mortgage. So usually people are using things like hard money lenders. I use iFund Philly. They're basically a private lending company out of Philly. Or, you know, I crazy enough, I started by asking my family members. Um, that's Those are the first people that let me mo- money, like my uncle, cousins, people like that. Um, second off, I would say, is, you know, how are you going to find these houses? Again, right now, especially in the market we're in, you're not going to find many flips on the MLS. So, you know, you kind of have to go look for people that might be motivated to sell or in distressful situations, like inherited houses. You know, most people that inherit a house are going to want to sell eventually. Um, You know, can the people or, you know, like people who can't afford to fix up their properties and then also maybe people that are in a financial situation. Um, So there are ways to find these people. Um, There's so much technology and information out there that you can track these people down. Usually, you know, call them, you know, mail them. Etc. And then I think the biggest one is that gives me the most headaches is who's going to do the work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I think a lot of people forget this. They say, oh, yeah, we're going to go there every weekend and do the work ourselves. But really, you do not want to do that because then it just becomes a second full time job. The first house I ever did, me and my uncle were there every weekend doing it. And I was like, I could be doing so many like better things with my time, like money wise. Like, why am I the guy painting the house or putting up the backsplash tile? You know what I mean? So, Really, I think in the long run of flipping houses is you have to run it like a business. You know, exactly how you're running your realtor team here. You know, you basically have to have the pieces in place to be able to be at the top and run it like an actual business. Or I think, you know, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Well, it's our team, number one, because, you know, I hate when people say that. So I (laughs) just got to I'm going to correct you every time, no matter what, Steve, with peace and love. So um, so what? I heard a couple things there and, and ladies feel free to jump in. I don't want to monopolize the time is that you got to run it like a business. Mm-hmm. You have trouble with contractors. I mean, it, and it is a full-time job. I've seen yes. people try to do this on the side and what ends up happening is it sucks up all their time and they've got other businesses that they're, they're, they're working mm-hmm. on. Um, so for someone that wants to get into this, what I'm hearing you say is like, you got to go all in or not at all. Like it's either got to be one or the yeah. other. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. If I was to recommend how to get started, like I said, I, I first went to, you know, there's like investor meetups, like deep Delco property investors. I would go there and try to connect with people who are actually doing it. That's exactly what I did. 
But I think people go about it the wrong way. They say like, hey, Steve, like, let's flip a house together. I'm like, all right, yeah, when are we going to get started? Like, that's not the way this is going to work. You have to find a way to bring value to these people because you know how many people probably are messaging like, hey, let's flip a house, you know, a million. So how can you branch out from everybody else and bring this guy value that he'll want to actually do a deal with you? You know what I mean? Like if you brought me a house, I will gladly do it with you, give you 50 per, 50% of the profit or, you know, we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. People are thinking kind of of themselves first. Like, you know, I want to do a flip. So this guy's going to do it with me, but you kind of got to think the opposite of bringing them value first. Like how I got started was I remember I met two house flippers. These guys were full time. And I said, you know, how can I help you guys? I want to get into flipping. And I was just doing like dumb things. I go put lock boxes on, go take pictures of properties, go measure things. But eventually they were so overwhelmed and they said, you know, hey, Steve, we have a house. We'll help, you know, you've helped us out a bunch. We'll help you fund it. We'll help you get the deal. And, you know, that was the first house I ever did because I went out of my way to help them guys and bring them value. And then they returned it in the end. I love that advice. And I think no matter what business you're trying to get into, yeah. like that should be your approach. I yeah. mean, I, I, you know, I have a number of rental properties. I know Stacy's got a couple and the partner I have, you know, it was, you know, he's, uh, he's very strong operationally. Mm -hmm. I knew where to go, what markets to go to, how to bring deals. So we were a good partnership because we had what each other needed. And there was a lot of trust there, which I think is another thing that's, that's really hard to develop. Cause I know you've mm -hmm. had to fire some contractors exactly. before too. Yep. So um, that, that's, that's a great piece of advice. How do you bring value? I mean, that was in the notes I, I took here. So, um, I'm going to toss it to you two in a second. I got one more question. So you've kind of pivoted your strategy since mm -hmm. we've met. And I think we, we connected because you wanted to maybe get out of this a little bit, mm -hmm. focus on your real estate career, yes. but also get into rental properties, mm -hmm. which is a little bit of a pivot from the yes. fix and flip. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Maybe why you made that decision? Because mm -hmm. I think you mentioned time a lot there and yes. I don't, I, I think people really don't value their time enough in my, in my view. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I never really wanted to be like a full-time house flipper. That was never really my goal. I kind of said, you know, how can I make a, you know, a lot of cash quickly? And flipping was definitely on the list. Um, Cause I think in the end, you know, yeah, it goes back to like, you know, what do you want to do with your time when you're older? You know, so like you want to be able to have what they call passive income, you know, have your assets work for you instead of you working for money. So, you know, my goal is to obviously, you know, buy a couple of rental properties each year. You know, I'd like to have like, my goal is, I guess, would be to make 10 grand a month in, in cash flow. So cash flow is, you know, what you, you know, it's basically your, your income minus your expenses and what's, you know, left monthly. So your actual profit, your actual profit. Yes. So that would be my goal is, you know, and it's also a security blanket because, you know, being a realtor, you know, we're all doing very well, but there's always going to be hot, you know, hot and slow times. So it's just kind of nice. And also in real estate, you know, when you flip a house, you know, you might, yeah, you might make a lot of money, but you're paid like what? If I if we bought a house today, we wouldn't be paid for maybe four to six months, mm -hmm. you know, so you need some type of, you know, income coming in. So and also, I mean, there's a lot of great, you know, you got um, I'm sorry, you got appreciation, you know, in the areas that you're trying to buy the property. You know, um, I mean, it's kind of a horror story now, but I was going to buy a duplex in Drexel Hill probably t right before COVID hit. For hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and I, you know, I passed on it. I, I really don't even know why. Oh, no. And now, and Janine on our team, I think, ended up selling the one next door. There's like six of them in a row, and I think it ended up selling. I think it was listed for two forty seven. I don't know what Ooh. they bought it for. So, but in a span of a year and a half, it it sold for about a hundred thousand dollars more. 
So, um, so yeah, I mean, but it also, you know, you can say that about anything, you know, you can say that about Bitcoin, I should have bought Amazon, et cetera. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you just got to take it as an experience, you know, and just say that's not going to happen again. <laughs> I love that. So what, what, what questions do you guys have? Cause I think this is really insightful of someone that's been on like literally all three phases of the business, the sales rental and, and the flip side. So what, what, what do you ladies want to know? Um, so did you have a lot of trial and error with the contractors that you were using or what made now are you kind of sticking with, um, you know, one, one company or one guy? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I think <laughs> at the beginning it was actually easier probably than it has been now. So basically I used to have, I had a friend that was like a general contractor and he moved away. So basically in Delaware County, you, you know, you have to pull the permits as the, as a GC and then basically everybody's underneath them. So this guy used to help me out by pulling the permit. And then like, you know, one of my friends is an electrical company. You know, one of my buddies is a plumber. So I was having like a lot of my friends doing the work. Mm -hmm. So I never really had to babysit these guys or worry about any of it. And then eventually, you know, I had to transition to just basically one general contractor. And then that was kind of where more of the headaches happened, mm -hmm. you know, because I think there's, you know, unfortunately, you do learn by trial and error and experience. You know, I feel like these projects always go over in time. So I recommend trying to put a time timeline in there. But again, a lot of these guys will try to fight it because they'll say, oh, the permits or the township held us up or, you know, somebody else. It wasn't my fault. Right. So then now <laughs> do you find it easier now that you've done more and you're you know more what what happens at each step. It's exactly. like, no. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like, it's like a general thing in life. Like house flipping hasn't gotten easier. I've just gotten better each sure. time and better at the process. You know, I'm sure like Tom over here with the Peloton, when he first started, <laughs> I was a now, big fat ass. Now, yeah, that's now why. He's, now he's crushing it. You know what I mean? And it's probably a lot easier for him. He's in great shape, you know, so it's, you can use that like for really anything in life. It doesn't really get easier. It's just, you get better each time. Yeah. And you know what to expect exactly. and you know, you yes. know what's what. Yes. And when your skills get better, the road becomes malleable, right? Like yeah. it may be a tougher flip, but you know mm -hmm. how to navigate it better, right? It's yeah. no different than doing a real estate transaction. Exactly. I mean, imagine your first transaction yeah. for all of us mm -hmm. here versus where we are now. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. So great stuff. Experience for sure. Yeah. 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 So and you also you, learn to, sorry, you learn the things to look for. Because, right. Exactly. Which is going to be beneficial to you when mm -hmm. you uh, buy and hold. Yes. And especially if you've done a lot of work yourself mm -hmm. on the, on homes and you have a general idea yeah. of how to do repairs, mm -hmm. then holding property, especially in the local area, yeah. is not as difficult for somebody else who just wants to be, mm -hmm. because I get a lot of calls and you probably do too. Yeah. I want to be an investor. Can yep. you help me find some deals? Yes. We're getting the walk off music okay. here. So if you want to follow Steve, he's on Instagram. It's at Steve with a V carp, K-A-R-P. You can follow Sarah at Ty, T-Y underscore tie time. So T-Y underscore T-Y-T-I-M-E. Stacy's at the number two. Mitchco, you can follow me at TomTool3RD, at TomTool the third. Google us if you want to find out about our team. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM.